This week on the Sport Blokes. On this week's show, the Adelaide Crows win a game! The Adelaide Crows win a game! Some other sports stuff, and the Adelaide Crows win a game! <laughs> Let's go. As we do at the top every week, Shui, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention? I actually just finished watching the Collingwood Brisbane game the other day, and while I was in the kitchen, I heard this ad on Channel 7 saying, The demons are on the cusp of the finals, but can the Swans stop them in their tracks? And I had to do this massive double take because I thought the Sydney Melbourne game was yesterday, wasn't it? But in actual fact, they were advertising the Perth Demons and the Swan Districts oh. game. But the advertising blurb for that game was oh. almost identical to what it would have been for the Sydney Melbourne Oh, game. they probably just used the same record. They could have done it. Was, it was exactly the same. So yeah, that just kind of caught my attention out <laughs> That's of nowhere. Classic. How about yourself? Uh, well, for me, it was... And I'm, yeah, I'm woefully underprepared as usual. But for me, it was... Uh, I heard a great rendition of uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah <laughs> that's been redone by one of the ringer blokes to Hallelujah. <laughs> Talking about Luka Doncic, have a look at it on YouTube if you can. It's a good laugh, and the lyrics are pretty funny as well. Like talking about you know where he was drafted, what pick he was drafted, and everything. So that gave me a good chuckle this week. Love it. So what I missed, geez, I mean, I missed the double header of basketball today, which was really disappointing because neither of them were on Foxtel or Ko. So the only way I could really keep track of it was on the Gamecast, and I was really looking forward to watching this, especially being Father's Day over here. So Mm. that was pretty disappointing, but. Uh. Is what it is. What did you miss, Nath? Well, I missed the end of the first T20 between Australia and England because I fell asleep. And, you know, I can be forgiven for doing so because it was probably about 3.30 and Friday night. So, you know, the end of the working week. Um, but we'll come to that shortly. Yes, we will. I also miss my Swans having a win. A rare win. Yeah, true. I finally joined you. You know, you always come in sporting attire. I finally got my got Swans you, shirt on, you know. Nice and brand new, that one. Uh, don't, well, there's a few little tomato sauce stains from when we, <laughs> when we went to those games. But, um, yeah, yeah. so I didn't get to see that, but I did listen while I was at work. So it's such a weird thing. It's kind of like, oh, we've actually climbed the ladder to maybe three positions, yeah. which means our draft pick will be lower. So, yeah, I'm weird. No, no, kind you, of want us to lose it. I understand that. <laughs> T- tanking without tanking, basically. Yeah, well, kind of, yeah. 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 So, a bit of a weird one this week for a myriad of reasons, really. Uh, we're recording on a Sunday night. We normally record on a Monday um, because uh, my turn for a plug for Tourism WA. My girlfriend and I are going down to Margaret River next week to, uh, you know, you went there earlier uh, in the year. So, that'll be nice. So, we had to record tonight. Uh, so we're going to, it was her birthday last night too, so I'm a little dusty as well, but I'll see how we go. <laughs> it's a great, uh, great night though. It was a great night. It was a great night. Lots of fun had by all. And we did get a nice bit of uh, sports chatting in with various people throughout the course of the evening, which I'm sure will come out in one way or another. We in, have a belter of a story. In various, I don't think we'll stage. do that this week. No. Yeah, but we'll, we'll definitely uh, bring that to the fore. But in, in other weird uh, ways, we're just going to skip the news roundup this week too, because we've kind of scoured the, uh, the, the wires. And basically, most of what's there is what we're going to talk about in our segments. So we've definitely found that Monday is a good time for news. Yep. So we've, and then of course the other weird thing—it's the first time we're recording with uh, match in progress. So we've got uh, the Australia England T20 second match going. We're a woeful three for thirty-eight off nearly six overs. Mm. So 
not looking good. Yeah, so, you know, try not to get too distracted by that. But, yeah, we'll see how we go. So I guess with no news roundup, unless you wanted to address anything, we'll get straight into the cricket. Straight into it. Before we review some matches, Stewie, we've had some uh, news with retirements in the cricket world. Yeah, probably the big one from English cricket is Ian Bell. He announced his retirement. I mean, he hasn't played internationally. Five years. Yeah, quite some time. Yeah. You've got to remember, he averaged 42.69 across 118 tests. He had 46 50s, 2200s, a high score of 235. Very handy player. Very accomplished. Averaged 37.87 in ODIs and 26.85 in T20. So And dubbed the Shermanator by Warney because he looked like Sherman from uh, American Pie. Oh, fantastic. I didn't even remember that. Wa- Warney used to love, you know, like... He yeah, loved Royal The him. mind games, yeah. yeah. Yep. He was a, a real thorn in our sides a lot of Oh, time. he was in num- uh, numerous ashes. Yeah, absolutely. For us, though, his big and best accomplishment was being first drop in the Scorchers BBL side. <laughs> the one that won the 2016-2017 series. So that uh, was of course. a yeah, really, really great accomplishment for him. Indeed, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sure that's top of his list too. Of course, it, yeah, has, yeah. To be. it yeah. has to be. On the same note as well, we had Graham Onions, who we referenced, I guess, a little while ago as part of one of those comical trophies. Over the cups, yep. But uh, he's officially retired just shy of his 38th birthday due to ongoing back issues. 32 test wickets in nine matches and a first-class nine for so pretty handy bowler. Mm, surprised he didn't play more, actually. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, happy retirement to Graham Onions. Indeed. Now, the WBBL, I think they've announced that they will be playing their entire series in Sydney. So we've got another hub situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I get this. It's not exactly... I just wonder why Victoria New South Wales would be an option at yeah, this, at this yeah, stage. It's, it's curious. It really Tassie. Yeah, send them to Tassie. Oh, well, I don't know. Their borders aren't as hard as ours, are they? So I think Tassie might might hold Tassie them. could definitely work. I think yeah. WA is the only one that's really holding out. Yeah. Definitely an option there. There's there's plenty of options. I mean, there's tons up in Queensland you can use as well. There just has to be a better city than that. And I really, really hope that it doesn't impact the, the quality of the play that we get in terms of people not going across. But we shall see. Mm, we shall. We shall. Yeah. Now, we had such a big week last week that we actually had to bump the cricket in the end because we talked about the uh, historical goings on in the NBA. So we actually have a bit to get through here. Last time we talked about cricket, there was still the test match between England and Pakistan. As we kind of predicted as it was going along, it did end in a draw. There was a lot of rain uh, as usual. So England were 583 declared after losing eight wickets. Pakistan had 273 and then were forced to follow one, four for eight, 187. So if there'd been more time, that was a certain English win. But their uh, their reigns kept them kept them away from that one. It is late in the year, though. It's nearly our summer. Yeah. yeah so it, it, you can expect a bit of rain. You can expect a bit of rain there. It never rains when they're beating us, though, does it? And then again, England, Pakistan, the first T20. So England were 6 for 131 off 16. So going along at an okay pace when that one ended for rain. So then in the second T20, Pakistan had a very defendable 195. Baba Azam had 56 off 44. Muhammad Hafiz had a 69 off 36. So they, it was a fair effort there. Uh, Adil Rashid, the pick of the bowlers, uh, 2 for 32 off 4. And then England had a bit more of a spread of scoring. Uh, Milan, 54 not out. Owen Morgan, 66, the pick of the uh, run scorers there. Um, mm. It just always felt like Pakistan were about 20 runs short there. I know 195 is a huge score, but on those postage stamp sort of sized ovals that they, they play over, over there, I mean, that was... Probably about a 2.10, wicket. Right. And unfortunately, that's what... I say unfortunately. And that's what happened, basically. Well, England got there with five balls to spare. Yeah. 
Uh, and then in the third one, uh, so the series itself was end up drawn one all. This time Pakistan again, 190 for, well, four for 190. Let's say it properly, we're in Australia. Hafiz, 86 off 52. That was another fair effort. Uh, for the Poms, Banton had a 46. Uh, Moen Ali had a 61 off 33. And they fell just short. Uh, fairly even spread of wickets there. So, uh, look, I must confess, I didn't get to watch any of any of those ones. I don't know if you caught any. Wahab Riaz was spectacular in the death in that third. He was just... He was amazing. He got rid of Moen Ali. He got rid of Sam Billings as well, who can be really dangerous in that, that lower middle order. And, yeah, ultimately they came up slightly short in that one. So, that was a really, really exciting game to watch that one. I'm really, really glad I invested the time in it. Mm. And then... Oh, funny one. So... There's nothing funny about this. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) So the Aussies tour of England has begun, and this one I did see the majority of, as I mentioned at the top there. So Josh Butler came out absolutely blazing. He ended up with 44 off 29. Dawid Milan had a 66 off 43, so his his summers continued well in the T20 format for them. (laughs) Bit weird with the bowling. So Glenn Maxwell, two for 14, but he only bowled three. Kane Richardson, two for 13, but he only bowled three. Paddy Cummins, one for 24, but he only bowled three. Agar had two for 32 off four. It was... I think there was one over he went for like 20. Uh, he went for 16 in the he, second over. And that's against Butler, over. yeah. yeah. So, so that his, his figures were actually kind of tidy if you take that one away. Hmm. Zaki, no wickets for 30. Zampa, no wickets, 47 runs conceded. Then we went into bat and things were looking pretty good. So Warner and Finch had, had a really good start. They, Warner ended up on 58, Finchie on 46. Now, they're very close to the scores that I remember, so I reckon I must have fallen asleep not long before they must have both got out in pretty quick succession. So I we think. can blame you then? Well, maybe. I mean, I probably let myself... As I say, it was probably about 3.30-ish. Yeah. Um, but uh, I probably did let myself relax because it seemed really under control at that stage. Mm-hmm. Smitty came in, he got an 18 off 11. Stoinis had a 23 off 18, not out. But really, a bit poor in the end, and we finished two runs short. Oh, absolute disgrace, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, going back to that bowling thing, I'm not a huge fan of Ashton Agar bowling the second over. We spoke about this, and if anything, you bowl in the first over. Don't, yeah. Don't give him a chance to even get a cider. Yep. But when you've got Joss Butler in there, we spoke about this in terms of what happened in the Ashes a few years ago, or certainly the last time we, we played against him. Stark and Cummins, you've got those two guys there. He does not like the, the pace early. I would bowl those guys at least the first four. Bounce him. See, see if you can potentially bounce him out yeah. or cause a wicket there. But then, God, when you get to 65 off 55 with 10 wickets in hand and then 40 off 39 with 9 in hand, you should win that 10 oh, yeah. it's, every single it's, time. I dare say if it was a subcontinental team, we'd probably accuse them of match-fixing from Potentially. that, uh, from just, that uh, yeah, position. <laughs> just really poor discipline shots from Warner, Maxwell and Kerry. And yeah, I, I, I said to the old man after that, I felt like we would get rolled in game two after throwing that one away and it's looking like that already it's really interesting isn't it so obviously England and I feel like I say this nearly every week but they've crammed in an incredible schedule in a really short amount of time a lot of tests a lot of T20s so look they're in good form they've had a lot of match practice the Aussies haven't played since I think they said the 14th of March Mm. so we were you know we were and look no practice match no net session can replicate a proper real match so I was actually quite impressed that we bowled them out for the total that they, that we did, especially after the way Butler started, because Butler looked very damaging at the beginning. And by the way, I know I rubbished him. My rubbishing of him is with the with the gloves in test form. 
He's an excellent short-form player. He should be a walk-up starter mm. to the... I just question his glove work in the in the test team, much like I tend to question Matthew Wade's glove work when he was um, keeping. Um, so, you know, obviously Butler's an absolute star and we were very lucky to remove him for what we did and that's probably why we did get away. But Milan looked absolutely magnificent. He was he looks in pretty good form. He, he was very damaging. And I agree with you on the, on the spinners. Like... So it kind of it crept in quite early in the IPL where teams would start bowling spinners early, and it can often work. But I, I reckon if you're going to do it, especially again when the when the Poms have had all this match practice and they've been playing a lot in a fairly short amount of time. Granted, okay, siders for pace is different for siders for spinners, but you're still in the middle. You've still got bat on ball a few times. I think that if you're going to bowl a spinner early, you've got to bowl him in over one. And if he bowls well in over one, then maybe you put him in in over three. But I don't know. Agar's not a prodigious turner of the ball. No. So, I mean, for me, if you've got someone who can turn the way Shane Warne did, for example, where you're turning at a foot, foot and a half, as opposed to a couple of inches, (laughs) the way that Agar does... Well, it's it's, it's the old thing where you get this... Like, Glenn Maxwell was excellent at this in this match, where you just race through your balls and the other yeah. team goes, oh, shit, we've already faced four balls and the over's nearly over, you know. Hmm. So it can be a good little... You know, you can race through some overs and get some cheap dot balls. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Disappointing. Well, we're going to round out cricket. I've actually got a really cool story, though, that I found a couple of weeks ago. We are going to talk about it last week, but unfortunately we ran out of time. Mm. From the Glamorgan versus Northamptonshire match that happened, as I say, a couple of weeks ago, you're probably wondering why I would even talk about this. but it's just, No, everyone follows the... Uh... No, in the, the second innings of this match, Glamorgan was struggling. They were 5 for 16, 8 for 60 at one stage. At 8 for 60, they had a 7-run lead, so they were really struggling. And then they had a 168-run ninth wicket partnership. That's awesome. Between a guy named Dan Douthwit and a South African bowler named Martin DeLunga, who you may have heard of. They put him in a pretty decent position. Now, they ultimately lost, but the really cool thing about this partnership was a 62-run 100 scored by DeLunga. So he's made in first-class century. He's teed off. And he goes 113 off 78, six fours, nine sixes. It was amazing. I saw the highlights, and he's just clubbing everything leg side. He's just pulling and hooking like a madman. What a crazy way to bring up your maiden first-class century, doing it off 62 balls. That's amazing. So, Great. So, yeah, just thought it was a pretty cool story. Oh, we like yeah. to scale those nice little stories, yeah. don't we? Well, Shuey, some very big news in the tennis uh, before we get into the match play at the US Open. Yeah, something that's really just dropped right now. The US Open has unfortunately had to kick the number one seeds in the women's doubles out. So Kristina Mladenovic and Tamea Babos, they've been pulled from the competition. Mladenovic unfortunately has to quarantine because she came in contact with Benoit Pair, who tested positive for COVID last weekend. Mm. So absolute chaos there in terms, yeah, of, in terms yeah. of the women's doubles. Sure is. So... Yeah, God, who knows what's going to happen next. They're, they're into the well, the fourth round now for the men's and the women's in the singles. First couple of days, though, there have been some really crazy things. Seven matches won from two sets to love down. Seven. Yeah, that's nuts. I, I went back... That was only the first two rounds. That was just the first two rounds, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So I actually went back and had a look. In the past 40 years, there have only been four years with more matches like that in the full two-week tournament. Wow. So, yeah, it, it was weird. I actually found out as well, between 1975 and 78, they actually did best of three sets for the first three rounds before going up to best of five from them, huh. which is something I didn't realize. Wow, I yeah. didn't know that either. That's now, interesting. Now, one of those matches, those 
sort of two sets to love ended up losing was uh, Diego Schwartzman, the nine seed, who lost to a guy named Cameron Norrie of the UK. He was actually born in Johannesburg, but that's about right for the UK. Oh, yeah, that's, still, what, that's what... Still claim him. Yeah, the Poms will take sports people from other countries. That's what they do. So, yeah, he was very, very disappointed to throw that one away. We also saw a, a huge boil over just recently. Stefano Sitsipas, the number four seed, got knocked out by Borna Choric, who I believe was part of the... The Adria Tour. Ah, of course. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, he was down two sets to one, down 5-1 in the fourth as well. Wow. And then broke Sitsipas three times in a row, saved six match points before he won Jeez. it in the fifth set. That's a choke. It is a pretty big choke. So he'll face Jordan Thompson, the Aussie, in the, the next round as well. So pretty decent chance for, for Jordan to get through. Absolute carnage in the women's draw. The number one seed, Carolina Pliskova, got knocked out in just the second round. Um, the seeding began for the women in the US Open in 1928, and since then, this is just the third time that the women's number one seed has lost in the second round or earlier. So Anna Ivanovic in 2008 lost to a woman named Julie Coyne from France in the second round, and in 2018, Simona Halep lost in the first round to Kaya Kanepi of Estonia. So we've also lost the five seed, Arena Sabalenka. We've lost the nine seed, Johanna Konta, the 10 seed, Gabi Muguruza. And that's with also a lot of players missing as well. Exactly. It so keep, the field is thinning pretty quick. And it keeps going. Elena Rybakina, the 11 seed. The 12 seed, Marquita Vondrasova. 13 seed, Alison Risk. Coco Gauff's gone. Venus Williams. Kim Kleisters. Bloody Venus hell. in the first round. Bloody hell. Oh. Speaking of which. <laughs> and now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, this week's Bloody Hell is a really disappointing follow-on from one of last week's news items. So last week, we spoke about the WWE Raw virtual fan issues when someone decided to livestream a KKK rally. Well, this week we've seen some even more disgusting acts with another KKK rally, as well Mm. as pictures of Chris Benoit, so people who don't maybe know him. He was a wrestler who the WWE shunned because he killed his wife and their seven-year-old son before hanging himself in 2007. Mm, Just tragic. It really was. Um, you also had a guy doing a Hitler salute, a guy jerking off, uh, and an ISIS beheading video. Jeez, you didn't tell me that one. Uh, so bloody hell! They've had a lot of a lot of really bad stuff. The WWE responded by saying that fans who've gained the trust of them will be displayed in the lower bowl in the arena, but those who aren't as well known will be placed higher up. I know wrestling is very predominantly a sport loved by, I guess you would say, (laughs) blue-collar white folk. (laughs) Fly over Uh, states. Yeah, and there's a lot of problems in certain parts of America with the All Lives Matter slogans and parts where African Americans are still not considered equal. But wow, even for them, that is really, really low. How... How is this happening? Like, the NBA's managed to do a pretty good job of virtual fans. I forgot in the tennis segment, by the way, to talk about the tennis segment virtual fans. Have you seen them on the side of the court? No. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's really tokenistic, and it just—it's just weird. Okay, it's well, very weird. Might have to go into more it, depth ne- next week. Yeah, it might. Yeah. It, maybe if you haven't seen it, maybe it's not on every court. Maybe it's only on centre court or oh, something. Probably, I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, but okay. I watched—I've watched bits and pieces, and it just—it just looks wrong. I have to have a look. We can discuss that next week. Right? But there's a, yeah, but there's a difference between looking wrong and being yeah, wrong. Yeah. Like. And, and how, like, surely, you know, there must be the work experience kid you can have. Okay, well, maybe it's, maybe you need someone more important. But there must be someone that can monitor these feeds and turn one off the minute anything dodgy happens. Yeah. Because, you know, again, as I say, I haven't heard any controversy in the NBA with it. No. Um, the last we heard of any controversy with the virtual fans was 
when we first started recording over three months ago. Yeah, it was that, that serial killer that got into one of the rugby games. Yeah, so... Well, the, the cardboard cutout. The cardboard, sorry, yes. <laughs> sorry, we should... Yeah, we'll rephrase that. Yes, the, the cardboard cutout. And but, the cardboard um, cutout of Osama Bin Laden yeah, as well. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, and you're, that was another bloody hell, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it seems that most leagues and sports have done a decent job of keeping it clean. The WWE have dropped the ball twice in two weeks. It's really terrible. Have. It's yeah. terrible. So I guess... I mean, my question is, now obviously it's happened twice, surely when you're registering for this sort of thing, can't they do something like freeze an amount on a credit card and it's a fine if you get done? Or, I, I don't know how you do this, but there's got to be something more that can be done on Well, this. surely someone can monitor, I don't know, 20 screens simultaneously, you know. it. Well, something that, wrong will catch your eye pretty quick you and you can turn it off yeah. pretty quick uh, number nine off you the, know like the, the money they're bringing in surely they can afford to yeah well, someone for every 10 yeah, an intern like, bring in an intern yep. or I don't know um, gold dust can come back and <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be able to see the screens past all the, all the glitter. Well, do you know what? I'd prefer gold dust to be on every screen. That's true. Maybe that's the solution. That's true. Oh, I thought you meant him actually monitoring the screens. <laughs> well, I did. I okay. did. Well, but... that would be good, actually. Have yeah. Some... yeah, that'd be great. But no, honestly, for the, the second straight week of this sort of bullshit happening, all I can say is bloody hell. Bloody hell. Before we get our teeth sunk into the NBA, Shui, quick free agency update in the NBL. Yeah, the free agency update in the NBL takes all of about three seconds, but there is something really cool I want to talk to you about. Oh, yes. So Dan Kickett has re-signed with the Sydney Kings, and George Blagojevic has re-signed with Cairns. That's it. Yeah, Not yes. much. But and no, I saw Nick Kay had like a 20 for his European team the other day. Oh, okay. So he started so well with his... Fitting in nicely. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. But no, what I wanted to talk about with you from the NBL was the shortlist for the new Tasmanian team name. Oh, yes. We love names. <sighs> I fucking told you that there was going to be some ridiculous emotion name. <sighs> the Tasmania Pride. Yeah, let it sink in. All right, what else we got? Give me a break. Can we put a line through that straight away, though? Oh, is that fine? Well, it depends what else is there. Maybe uh, is, this, is this a short list that they must choose from, or is this not... I believe so. The devils aren't on there, aren't they? No, they're not. Disgraceful. So, the other four. Okay. You've got the Tridents. The Tasmania Tridents. Yeah. The Tasmania Timbers. Yeah. The Tasmania Jack Jumpers. You're kidding. I'm not. Fuck off. I'm not. I'm You're so, kidding. I'm not. I'm Jack so, Jumpers. I really want to be able. This is something that I guess you probably would need to know. Or you need to be a Tasmanian to probably understand. Jumping what that's Jacks. All about. There's probably some sort of local media yeah, that, that we're not getting. We probably should have researched. Yeah, we that. probably should have. That's terrible. And then you've also got the Mountaineers. So, personally, I'm not a fan of any of them. Me neither. They're terrible. I'm trying to pick my favourite, and they're all shit. I'd probably go go with the Devils, guys. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'd probably go Timbers, then Mountaineers, then Tridents, then Jack Jumpers. I would just choose the Tasmanian football team. Yeah. Even though they're basketball. That just sounds ridiculous. Yeah, that's terrible. I refuse to call them anything other than the Devils, quite frankly. Anyway. (sighs) Oh, dear. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. We will forward. see how that goes. And then we go from some depressing news to some even more proper depressing news. Unfortunately, we've had another death. Huge year for deaths in, in the basketball yeah, world. Yeah, another... The great John Thompson. Another big college coach. He passed away on Tuesday, age 78. Hasn't been any information on cause of death, but it's not obviously that important right now. 
uh, is playing days. He actually had two seasons with the Boston Celtics as a backup to Bill Russell. Which ah, I yeah, he's a big guy, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, I would have guessed power forward. Yeah, yep. So he was part of two championship teams. He was actually selected by the Chicago Bulls in the 1966 expansion draft, but he yeah. opted to retire instead, which ended up being quite a good move. Mm. Um, as a coach, he became the first African-American head coach to win a major collegiate championship With in the basketball. Georgetown Hoyers. Yep, he led them to the Division One championship in 84. That was a team that had Patrick, Patrick Ewing, Ewing, David Wingate, Reggie Williams. So, yeah, he really resonated with his players. He took a 3-23 and team to a 500 record in his second season. Wow. Did really, really well. Wow. Um, finished just four wins shy of 600 for his career with a 71% winning record. So, really, Pretty really good. Pretty good and in a decent conference there in the Big East. Exactly. So. But how is this for a crazy story that I found? So in the late 1980s, Thompson got some word from some of his players, including Alonzo Mourning, that these guys were associating with Washington, D.C. drug lord Rafel Edmund III. Rafel. Rafel? Mm. Mm. Anyway, his crew was connected to at least 40 homicides, and at the height of his empire, he was really friendly with a lot of these Hoyers players. When Thompson confirmed this was happening, he sent word through these sources to have Edmund meet him at his office. When Edmund arrived, Thompson was really cordial, quite polite, but obviously things kind of escalated, as you can imagine, mm. seeing as I'm telling this story. Mm, well, he, drug ba- he basically informed Edmund that he needed to cease all contact with his players post-haste, mm. specifically John Turner and Morning, both of whom had befriended this Edmund guy. Edmund tried to assure him that the players weren't involved in anything illegal. Thompson stood up, and as we said, he's six foot ten. So Towering guy, yeah, yeah. Pointed his index finger right between Edmund's eyes. And basically, he just boiled over. He unleashed this profanity-laced tirade in which he basically told Edmund that if he, he, that he didn't care about his crew's violent reputation or propensity for murder. Edmund had crossed the line with him and he was not going to allow this guy to destroy the players' lives. Wow. By all accounts, Edmund never associated with another Hoyers player on any personal level. Badass. It's believed that Thompson's the only person to stand up to this guy without any consequence. So, wow. Yeah, they... <laughs> That's brilliant, isn't what, it? What a champ. Yeah, and look, his former players speak so, so well of him and speak hold him in such high regard. Uh, Kenny and Chuck had great little tributes to him on the TNT halftime show the day it happened. Uh, there's been outpouring of tributes everywhere, and he just had this great knack for having these really good centers yeah. like Ewing and Morning, as you mentioned. And Matombo. Matombo as well, yeah. Yeah, so, so, I mean, you can understand why a big guy would... Would want to go there. Would coach big, yeah. And yeah, we, exactly yeah, we yeah sorry, yeah, other way around. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, RIP John Thompson, uh, another absolute great of the game yeah. lost. Another massive star in the sky. Mm. Bubble thoughts, Stewie. For once, I don't have any, but uh, you do. Yeah, I've got some, actually. I, I was watching game six of the OKC Houston series and saw a guy dressed up as a bull. That was like like a proper bull suit, kind of mm. like, like a Benny the Bull sort of thing, which I thought was interesting. Um, Spider-Man was in the house for Denver-Utah Game 7. Oh, of course. I Good. Saw, there's, there's been a lot of people doing those dress-ups, which I think is great. Um, I also saw something on my Messenger feed that showed some really like some cool bubble virtual fans. So a lot of NBA players that were on these these things. So Scotty Pippen and BJ Armstrong were there for one of the games. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, After I saw Dikembe last week. Yep. Paul Pierce was on there. He got off the Celtics, obviously. Jalen Rose in his Indiana attire. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal was on there. Just... Basically loving it. But the one I, I really love that caught my eye, Lil Wayne was there watching the Lakers game. And he gave that sort of, you know, the V for victory sort of sign. But you mentioned the other week how sometimes on Zoom parts of uh, the yes. person disappear. Oh, yes. His pointer finger disappeared and it looked like he was flipping the camera off. So oh, dear. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, the Americans don't like the rude finger either. No. Sorry, I got distracted. Finchie just chopped on. 
Oh, lovely. 4 for 86 off 12.3. Shit house. Yep. Anyway. So as the NBA does during the playoffs, they kind of slowly drip feed the award winners we had Janus winning uh, defensive player of the year last week sixth man of the year was my pick Montrose Harrell if although you, you did nearly pretty much convince me about Schroeder if you it. think I disagree with Janus yeah, last week yeah. I'm even more against this yeah. one Schroeder was robbed and I'm not just saying this is an okay season. no you did tend to convince me I think and and they let's let's face it they really uh, punched above their weight this season they did the Thunder very yeah. few people had them even making the playoffs let yep. alone you know, taking Houston to a game seven it's, it's funny because you remember part of your argument, I guess, in terms of how Giannis won it was that the eye test won over the stats test. It seems like they've gone the complete opposite way here and gone for the stats test with this because Harold slightly more points a game, obviously a lot more rebounds. And obviously they finish higher on the ladder. And they finished higher. But their bench is stacked. Mm. They, their whole team is stacked. If, if they're looking at things like rebounding and field goal percentage, obviously Harrell's going to win that. But if you take Harrell off the Clippers, they probably have a very similar record. Take Schroeder off the Thunder, we don't make the playoffs. Mm. No way. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. No way it's happening. Yeah. I'll tell you a little stat. Harrell is very lucky this is a regular season award. The Clippers were outscored by 29.7 points per 100 possessions against Dallas with Harrell on the floor. OKC outscored Houston by 31.3 with Schroeder on the floor. Mm. So that tells you how important he is to that battle. Oh, yeah, and Harold's not a great defender. Yeah, no, he's just there for points. Mm. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm disgusted by this one. <laughs> really, yeah. As, like, it's one of those ones, again, like you said with the DPOY last week, it's not one of these big egregious sort of things, but oh, it just drives me nuts. Anyway. We just lost another fucking wicket, by the way. Oh, shit. And then, of course, Rookie of the Year, Ja Morant. <sighs> How did he get that? Jesus. No, obviously... One we agree with. Obviously an absolute lay down was there, that one. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The surprising bit, though, was that Zion finished third behind Kendrick Nunn. Yeah. I mean, Nunn, yeah. Nunn did have a great season. I don't know whether the lack of games maybe it's got to be. Zion. It's got to be, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a really interesting bit. Not obviously the fact that Morant won. I mean, that was always going to happen, but... Yeah, for Zion to not get second is... No, it's got to be because of the games, and that's fine. I mean, I was pretty annoyed at the fact of... Because a lot of writers put their ballots out publicly, and they write an article about it, Mm. and far too many people voted for Zion to win Rookie of the Year. So it looks like there are a few more wiser heads than than, uh, what I initially thought if he only finished third. But I think that's right. When you only play a quarter of the season... Oh, 100%. Yeah. So we'll get stuck into the games now, Stewie. We'll start with the Western Conference now because they still had round one going, uh, whereas the East's moved on completely into the semifinals. Let's just get the OKC bandit off. Yes, we? okay. So we got two games here. Game six, OKC 104 defeated Houston 100. Chris Paul had 28. Danilo Gallinari's had an up and down se- uh, series, had 25. Harden had 32, 8, and 7. I did actually watch this one as well. I forgot about the virtual fan that you mentioned off. And then game 7, Houston 104 defeated OKC 102 in what was one of, I think, five games in a row decided by just two points. It was absolutely crazy. 30 points from Lou Dort. Actually hit some threes after I bagged his three-point shooting. Although he, late, he didn't. 19, 11, and 12 from Chris Paul with a triple-double. And would you believe it, James Harden saved the game with a defensive play by blocking Lou Dort on a three. Everyone gives Harden so much shit about being a terrible defender. He actually... He's a terrible defender if someone's on the move, but if you've got a stationary, he's not that bad. Anyway. Well, I also think the thing with Harden is he doesn't try enough on defense. Mm. 
So I think it's an effort thing as much. Yeah. yeah. And obviously the shot that he blocked of Dortz was pretty important. Anyway. It was super important. It was like a fingertipper though. Hey, he didn't get much of the ball. Oh, he put straight up. Though. Yeah, yeah. But no, look, at time of recording, I said that it looked pretty bleak for the Thunder. Chris Paul... Well, we didn't even pick. We didn't. We, we just wrote them off completely. We thought they were going to lose game six. We did. So we got to swallow our words yeah. there a little bit. No, but, look, Chris so. Paul went old school in game six. So really big clutch plays. It actually looked like Russell Westbrook was doing all he could to help the Thunder win game six as well. He had some, <laughs> some really key turnovers. Still rusty. But yeah, game seven was an absolute classic. I mean, Lou Dort just balled out massively. He broke the record for the most points in a game seven for someone 21 or under. Wow. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah, well, rookie. Yeah, yeah, great work. Yeah, yeah. So six of 12 threes after we badmouthed how bad he was shooting. But yeah, we to not be able to take advantage of a four for 15 shooting night from James Harden's a bit disappointing. Obviously, that block was huge. Covington gave us a chance, though, missing though that free throw, or the second free throw anyway. But Dineen, yeah, it was a it was a tense finish. I listened on the radio at work. It yeah, was, ESPN. And, then, and away from the play foul, and Danilo Gallinari misses his first free throw of the series, mm. which was really annoying because... It that, was like 29 or 29 or 28 uh, yeah, or 28 or something. Yeah, I don't the number. Yeah, it was quite yeah. a lot. It was a lot, yeah. The annoying thing for me about this, though, is that if he makes that free throw as a one-point game as opposed to a two-point game... Houston have to play it very differently. They were just crowding the three-point line. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because on the radio, the commentators were like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Either way, you need a basket. But you're absolutely right because the floor spacing is really important. Mm. So, yeah, it did make a difference. And, well, it meant that we couldn't even get the ball. We ended up giving the ball to Stephen Adams, yep. of all people, who lost the ball on the yep. way up. So, yeah, there's nothing more frustrating than not even getting a shot oh, off. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, but, look, yeah. what a great series. We did, Again, punched above their weight. Yeah. Did tremendously well. Yep. And full credit to Houston. They made the plays they needed to. So, And speaking of Houston, they've started well in the next round against the Lakers. So they they uh, defeated them 112-97. to Harden had 36 in Game 1 of Round 2. LeBron's first loss after 15 straight conference semifinals wins. Wow. So a pretty huge thing. Look, the big thing for me in this game was the rebound count. 41-41. Mm. Now, you spoke about how they were probably going to get out-rebounded by yeah, committee. Yeah, no, that's interesting. They did such a great job rebounding by committee. It's For me, that's the equivalent of them winning at 61-41 because of how much we expected them to lose it. Harden got more from Westbrook. Eric Gordon... These guys were playing really, really well. Just watching PJ Tucker D up on Anthony Davis and force him into tough shots. How's this, though, to show the value of Robert Covington? He is now 26 of 51 from three in the playoffs mm. at 51%. Mm. He's probably one of the best 3 and D guys in the league. Very right handy. Now, so. Very, very handy. So, yeah, I mean, they generated 27 points off 17 turnovers from the Lakers as well. Houston are up for this, man. But Yeah, look, I've been writing them off, but hey, you know, surprise me. Good on him. I do have one, just a random thought that I had in this though as well, because there was one massive chase down block that LeBron had on Russell Westbrook. I was like, how many of these could he just grab out of the air instead of spiking into the fifth row? Mm. Bit of a random uh, reference, but you immediately make me think of Lafonso Ellis with that one-handed block the, in the, the mid-90s. The, the snatch block, yeah, yeah that was yeah. amazing. So I used to have this video of the uh, NBA action top 10 plays. All the video had was just the top 10 plays. I remember and that video. Oh, well, we used to, we certainly, uh, yeah, gave that one a run in the VCR. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, random thought there. Even, even more random, the guy he blocked was a guy named Marlon Maxey. Ah, I do remember him. I so, do remember there him. You go. There you go. But no, I I really think this is going to be a much longer series than we probably gave it credit. Oh, for. great! Yeah, not yeah. not complaining if All it four. is. Uh, the other side of the bracket in round one, they still had one more game to go as well. It was well. If you listen to Joe House on Bill Simmons' podcast, he absolutely teed off about how it was a terrible spectacle. 
but it was still close. The Nuggets 80 defeating the Jazz 78. Not uncommon for a Game 7 to be a real grind after some really high-scoring ones. It was a battle of the bigs. 30-14 and 14 from Jokic and 19-18 and 18 from Gobert. But the game-winning three missed by Mike Connolly sealed the Jazz's fate and the Nuggets move on to face the Clippers. Now, I personally think Game 7 was one for the ages. Not the way we were expecting. It's funny you say the word grind. That's the word I've got. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I do have it on tape. I will get there. This this was like one of those late 90s grind where first team to 80 wins, which is exactly what happened for Denver. But Donovan Mitchell was outstanding in this series, but his nine turnovers, including Mm. one of the the, the last plays of the game, basically were really, really costly. And that's after that turnover when he had that eight-second backcourt as well. So he's had some really crucial late game. This is the series I've seen the most of, actually. I've seen three of three of the first six and then I've got game seven taped so yeah yeah. two points on one of four shooting and two turnovers in the fourth quarter for Mitchell though which mm. is obviously not so great mm. the interesting moment for me actually came right at the end though so after that turnover that I just mentioned with Denver up by two they made this decision to try and score in transition instead of just holding onto the ball and waiting to be fouled so Torrey Craig blows the layup unfortunately and gave Mike Conley that chance but former NBL player Torrey Craig he, yeah, with Brisbane. Brisbane, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, firstly, I guess, what are your thoughts on Denver taking the shot there? You've got a wide-open layup. Do you take it to try and go up four, or do you... Yeah, if it's wide open. I think you have to back yourself a bit. Yeah, okay. yeah. Now... I don't know what he's like as a free-throw shooter. Oh, he's pretty handy. Yeah. He's pretty handy. Yeah, I don't have him. I mean, I haven't seen the footage, but in principle, I'm not opposed to it. One of the big things about that play, Rudy Gobert got the rebound off the miss. His foot was out of bounds. Oh. And it wasn't called. On those thick baselines that you exactly, talked about. Which I, I have noticed that. I have noticed. That doesn't bother me too oh, much. Sorry. But yeah, I have noticed since you mentioned. But what are the repercussions if Conley makes that three? Oh. Because there's no call. You yeah, can't challenge yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Major so, controversy. God, could they you dodged imagine? a bullet. Could you imagine? Yeah, they dodged a bullet on that one. So I think the right team won. And then we move into the second round. And I think... I'm trying to remember. I think I picked the Clips in six. And I remember after we recorded going, oh, the Clips might win easier than that. But we are at one game apiece. So maybe six is not too bad. Well, after game one, it looked like it yeah, was Yeah, it did, didn't it? Good. So the Clippers won 20, defeated the Nuggets 97. Kawhi had 29. In game two, Denver won 10, defeated the Clippers 101. Jokic played like a beast with 26 points and 18 boards. And that one is knotted up at one all, as we said. So game one for me, it was just one of those real hangover games. I mean, the Clippers had had probably nearly a week to sit there and kind of get fresh, get guys back. Pat Beverly was back for game one as well, so they were getting guys back from injuries. He had 9 of 36 on threes, and they gave up 57% shooting to the Clippers. It's really hard to win a game when you're giving up those sorts of numbers. Mm. Kawhi looked like the best player on the planet again, 12 of 16 from the field, really easy 29 um, but I actually wrote yesterday, I can see the Nuggets bouncing back. They may not win game two, but it will be close. Real keen to see how Jamal Murray responds after 12 points on 5 of 15 in game one. That was what I wrote before today's game. Prophetic. Absolute role reversal. Leonard, 4 of 17, looked human. Paul George, 7 of 19. Lou Williams, 6 of 16. It was a really different game, but I actually really think as importantly as the numbers that Jokic and Murray put up, they got 13 from Paul Millsap and 13 from Gary Harris. So these were, Gary Harris's return is really important because he's another defender. So Absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, at 44 in the first quarter, that's the second most in Nuggets playoff history for a quarter. Hmm. There you go. From the 1985 team, I think, put up 47. But English, Alex English? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, after I brought him up last week. Definitely looks like now it could potentially go a little bit longer, which is nice because I would love to see Denver knock them off. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Now we go over to the east, which is in full swing with round two. In fact, we're gonna have, we could potentially have this really weird thing where the Eastern Conference finals are set and the West are only a few games in. But anyway, so Bucks and Heat first off. Miami are currently 3-0. It is quite incredible. In game one, 115, defeating Milwaukee, 104. 40 from Jimmy Butler, 27 from Goran Dragic. Game two, Miami, 116, defeating Milwaukee, 114. Much closer this one. And not without controversy, this one. 29 and 14 from Giannis, but seven in double figures for Miami. And game-winning free throws from Jimmy Butler after a foul, which we will talk about in a second. And then finally, Miami, 115, defeating Milwaukee, 137 and six for Jimmy Butler. And Giannis Antetokounmpo now in serious doubt of missing game four with an ankle. So things are not looking good for the Bucks at all. And on the other hand, for the Heat... They could go into the playoffs for the Eastern Conference 8-0. and We joked about after we did our predictions last week, I was like, oh, well, Miami will probably win it 4-0 now. And sure enough. <laughs> yeah, well, and a couple of weeks ago I did say one of my predictions was that the Bucks would have a big scare in round two. So sure enough, that's... This is probably as big a scare yeah, as we Yeah, that, that's more than a scare. It's, yeah. yeah. I was surprised to find there have been 13 instances of a number one seed being swept in the playoffs. Hmm. including three straight years from 1969 to 1971, but a number five seed has never swept a number one seed. Hmm. So we've got, actually, we had the sixth seed in Houston do it to Orlando in the 95 finals, but look, Giannis is getting his numbers, but Jimmy Butler's outplaying him, hmm. and he is demanding to defend Giannis, which I love. I love the fact that he's doing that. Playoff Jimmy Butler is the best Jimmy Butler. He really is. The thing I think that is getting Miami over the, the line here, though, is that he's getting a lot of help. But he had 27 on 15 shots from Goran Dragic in Game 1, mm. 23 from Dragic and 17 from Tyler Hero off the bench in Game 2, 20 and 16 on just 8 shots from Bam Adebayo in Game 3. Milwaukee's offense is just all over the place. I don't know really what they're trying to do. And they're, they're actually lucky to have even been in Game 2. It should have been over long before that. But we all know the stat. Teams are 139-0 and in a series leading 3-0. and mm. Only the 2003 Portland Trailblazers against Dallas, the 94 Denver Nuggets against Utah, and the 1951 Rochester Royals against the Knicks have even forced a Game 7. Mm. So I remember that Portland-Dallas series well, actually. That was a great series. Yeah, yeah, it looked like yeah. they were going to get over the top of them as yeah, well. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and I did just quickly want to mention one other thing, I guess, around the three-point shooting. When Miami win the three-point line this season, they're 34-5. and five. Mm. When they have 17 or more threes, they're 13-2. and two. They won the three-point line by plus 51 in the last two games. Wow. So, I think the Bucs are done here. Um, no, they've got to be. If Giannis isn't playing in game four, they're done. Yeah. You can and, put a line through them. And just before we get to the, the foul, because I know you want to yeah. talk about that. Oh, yeah. I saw an amazing tweet from ESPN's Taylor Twelman. I love this. He said... So was Jimmy Butler really the problem in Chicago, Minnesota, and Philly? Because two of those are in the lottery and one has no coach. Yes, it's an interesting one. And you did mention it to me earlier in the week. But as I said, it's all about chemistry, isn't it? So clearly he pisses off a lot of people. But, you know, well, he pisses, that competitive edge. He pisses off guys who want to be the alpha male. Well, maybe, like, maybe. Like he, probably, he probably pisses off coaches. He probably pisses off a lot of people. But, but you uh, look at it. There's no alpha male in Miami. No. Oh, no. Well, but, he went there to be number one. But you had Joel Embiid in, in Philadelphia. You had Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. Yep. Uh, and in Chicago, you probably had Zach Levine. No, sorry. That would Derek have been Rose. Derek Rose. Even, yeah. Way yep. before Zach Levine. Yeah. Yep, but yeah, you yep. had Derek Rose and, and all of them. So, if yeah. Zach Levine's your big banana, you're in trouble. Yeah, just... Tell me about it. All right, um, yeah, let's look, get on to the foul. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember. It was scores tied. 
well, the Jimmy Butler one was before that. You had the, the foul on Chris Middleton. Oh yes, and Dragic sort of stepped into him. Yes, which I, I don't have a problem with. I yeah, think. so there was a bit of controversy with that. Now I haven't actually seen the footage of that one. I've seen the Jimmy one. Uh, you didn't seem to think it was that was controversial. I don't think there was any problems at all. I think the foul that Dragic committed on Middleton, he was straight up, but he moved his body forwards. Only a few, into in, the restricted a few inches, area. but he's into that restricted zone. So, mm. uh, so I think you have to make that call. And I have no problems with the the one that they called on Giannis. And Giannis even said himself, the fence. Oh, I do. I don't think that should have been called. I think it was too soft. Um, and you know, full credit to Giannis for saying, you know, uh, it's there. But in a, in the playoffs, nah. I'm sorry. I don't like it. No, nah, fair enough. It was too soft. That's fair enough. Far too soft. My, my thoughts... And are, it's just, unfortunately, you know, potentially we could be in a 2-1 series and yeah. now we're in a 3-0 series. But if, if you're going to call that with six minutes left in the second quarter, you've got to call it at the end of the game as well. That's always been my Yeah, well, yeah. Well. I mean, I talk about the consistency of... of yeah. Yep. But look, it's, yeah, it's a shame that the game was decided by a referee decision. That's all mm. I will say on that. Mm. Mm. Could be nearly time for the Bucks to leave the bubble. Meanwhile, the MVP is going to probably be announced fairly soon, and Giannis is expected to take that out. The MVP curse looks like it's going to continue. Mm. So the last four MVPs have failed to win a championship, and in the last 20 seasons, only three players have won an MVP in a championship. Can you name them? Ooh, okay, here we go. Steph Curry. Correct. Uh, LeBron James. Correct. Tim Duncan? Oh, he's nailed it. Three for three. I wanted to say Timmy first, but I'm like, no, no, we'll, we'll, well we'll leave that no, one. Well done to get those three so quickly. I yes. couldn't tell you the years. I could probably be close to the years. And then finally, uh, in the East, we've got the Raptors and Celtics. So we mentioned game one that was won by Boston last week, I believe. Game two, Boston 102 defeated Toronto 99, 34 from Jason Tatum, six threes from Marcus Smart. Game three, Toronto 104 defeated Boston 103. 31, 6 and 8 from Kyle Lowry and a game-winning three from OG Anu... I can never say his name. Ananobi. Ananobi. <laughs> I really struggled with that one. Uh, game four, Toronto 100 defeated Boston 93. Siakam 23 and 11. Lowry 22 and 11. And we have a series to all. Look, let's call this what it is. The Raptors are so lucky to even still be in this series. Oh, yeah. And I know that sounds weird at a two-all, but... They took a pinpoint 50-foot pass from Kyle Lowry and a really tough quick release from Ananobi for the Raptors to avoid a 3-0. That was a great game winner. But yes, yeah, that was the fifth game in the in a row that the playoffs had had that went to that last mm. possession as mm. well. But yeah, all of a sudden we got ourselves a 2-2 series and it's Boston's turn to feel some pressure. Yes, yes. So, and, uh, you know, they would be going back to Toronto, but uh, they're going back to the bubble. Back to the same court, I find, I find it, like, I, I love the playoff adage of you don't have a series until the home team loses. Mm. I'm rudderless without home and away teams in the playoffs. Look, the the big story for me, I think, in the first couple of games, and, and even stretching onto the third game, was the Raptors' three-point shooting. That was just an absolute abomination. 10 of 40, 11 of 40, and then 13 of 40 in the first three games. They went 17 of 44 today, which is a bit better. But through three games, Fred Van Vliet was 10 of 38. Kyle Lowry was 1 of 17 at one stage. Mm. And he's recovered. He is known to disappear in the playoffs, Kyle Lowry. Yeah, well, he's he has re- a bad he's, reputation. He's recovered now. He's 7 of 30. So he's, he's actually gone 6 of his last 13, which is not too bad. But mm. I said Siakam wouldn't shoot 5 of 16 again. He went 6 of 16, mm. then he went 6 of 15, and 10 of 23. They're not much better, but they're progressively getting there. I really liked what Boston were doing early, though. They put Jalen Brown on him. His length was really disrupting what he was doing. He was rushing things inside, but he seems to have figured it out a little bit. He's maybe being a little bit more patient, but 
Geez, the Celts kind of went the other way. They went 7 of 35 from 3 in Game 4. So mm. that three-point line's become really, really important. A real random thought for you. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, why is he not getting any minutes? Yeah, you could find him minutes. Yeah, you could he, find him minutes. He's playing like two minutes. Yeah, so interesting. I, th- I thought he would be the sort of guy who would be giving... Could be a, an adjustment for Game 5. Yeah, he could give him a good 8 to 10 minutes off the bench. I, I just kind of thought... I've seen, seen a lot of these DMP CDs and I just thought... He's too good to be sitting on the well, bench. Well, rotation unless you play for the Bucks, rotations do shorten in the playoffs. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah. Anyway, okay. just just a random thought for you, but hmm. yeah, bring on game five. And now, this week in sport history. Second of September, nineteen sixty-six, Joe Orr returns the opening kickoff ninety-five yards for a Miami touchdown in the Dolphins' first ever NFL regular season game. The Oakland Raiders went on to win twenty-three fourteen. On the 3rd of September 1966, the Houston Oilers hold the Denver Broncos to zero first downs nuts. in their NFL season opening 45-7 win at Rice Stadium. Denver's QBs John McCormick and Mickey Slaughter combined to complete just two of 20 passes for one yard. Jeez, Slaughter all right. Yeah, and 26 yards total for the game, including rushing. Amazingly though, the Broncos played the Oilers again just three weeks later and beat them 40-38. to the 4th of September 1994, Tom Tupa scores the first two-point conversion in NFL history, running a fake extra point attempt for the Cleveland Browns in a 28-20 win at Cincinnati. On the 5th of September 1988, Earl Winfield of the CFL's Hamilton Tiger Cats scored touchdowns on a 101-yard punt return, a 100-yard kickoff return, and a 58-yard pass reception Jeez. as part of a 56-28 win against the Toronto Argonauts. It's quite a game. It is. And then finally, on the 7th of September 1986, the Cleveland Browns became the first NFL team in history to have a play reviewed by instant replay in a loss to Chicago, 41-31. And if you're paying attention there, yes, it was all NFL this week because the NFL kicks off this Friday. So we're very much looking forward to that. <laughs> this week in sport history. So football code, Stewie, a few bits and pieces. Now, I talked about our weird recording week. I also, uh, we had to, well, initially we thought we might get a little bit of the ways in and then pause for my fantasy draft in the NFL, but in the end, I just did that first before we started recording. Yeah, it looked like you were doing all right. How, how'd you go in the end? Uh, I, well, I had a low pick in the first round, which does make it tough, so I missed out on the Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley's of the world, but I got Derek Henry at pick seven. I hope uh, I hope that uh, he catches a few more balls uh, this season, but to round out my top five, I got Devontae Adams, Kenny Golladay, I'm a bit iffy about. Uh, David Johnson and Deshaun Watson. I uh, got Cam Newton late. I think Will Fuller, f- the fifth, will be a good little pickup. Paris Campbell, I had to have one Colt in there. I oh, had Jack Doyle as well. I forgot about him. Austin Hooper, yeah, I've got an okay team. My tight ends were pretty good for late picks. Good job, so, with, good job with kickers, Nathan. I can see none. Uh, well, it auto-drafted a kicker for me. I didn't even check because oh. we, we had to get to recording. Oh, okay. Fair so, enough. Uh, yeah. I hope it wasn't Vinatieri. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, Vinatieri will be 48 this year. The... You looked at the list of ages of NFL players, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, he'd be the second oldest player of all time. It's nuts. If, if he can get on the field. He's on injury list at the moment. Nuts. And of course, the other big news, Tom Brady left the Patriots and is now playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's not a young man either. So there's a new team for you to hate. He'll, he'll be about... Yeah, I can share my hate. He took Gronkowski <laughs> with him. I think, uh, I think he's about 43... So he's pretty old as well. 42, I think it was. Okay, yeah, I think he might turn 43 this year, maybe. But, um, you know, of the, the list of blokes that have thrown a pass at that age, most of them were punters and kickers on trick plays. <laughs> I remember Vinny Testaverde played quite late uh, fairly recently. Um, Peyton was old-ish, but I don't think he was into his 40s. Warren Moon, famously, if you know. Yeah. 
few decades earlier played quite late into uh, uh, you know actually I stand corrected he turned 43 last month so happy, there you go happy birthday Sorry. the Patriots will be positively <laughs> deflated that you left them oh. uh, some other interesting news in the NRL before we get into the AFL I know Stewie's champing at the bit to talk about today's game how's this for us this is magnificent or just bizarre so at Brookvale Oval on Saturday, Josh Reynolds and Russell Parker, who have a combined wage of $1.6 million, abandoned their teammates at halftime with the Tigers trailing 20 to 12. Like abandoned, left, what, stopped playing, left it, left the gave it in, mailed it in on the team. According to the Daily Telegraph report, Reynolds and Packer left the dugout and entered their cars, missing the club's stunning comeback victory in the second half. The Tigers scored three tries in the last 12 minutes. And won 34 to 32. <laughs> what a bizarre story. I'm sure there'll be more to come out of that one oh, as well. God. All right, let's get into the AFL, the stuff we actually know about. Uh, the big news, of course, yet another COVID breach. More Richmond players. Sydney Stack, Callum Coleman-Jones had to go to a strip club, get a kebab, get in a dust-up. Now they've got 10 games suspended. Yeah, slightly bigger suspension than Lou Williams got for going to his strip club. But <laughs> no, this is obviously a, a huge deal, and the Queensland government have been so great at doing what they've done throughout this season to keep the season alive. It's to true. obviously soon be hosting the grand final and pretty much all the final series, or the majority of it anyway. So to put the league at risk like this is such a major, major deal. And, and obviously this is something that is... It's a conscious decision to make. It's not something that you just, oh my God, we're accidentally at a strip club. Yep. Like, you make that call. <laughs> so. And if the reports are correct, I think they were actually kicked out of the strip club. Yeah. So they decided to have their kebab and that's when they were approached by someone. Yeah, this big guy approached him and punched Coleman Jones in the face. You wonder maybe if it's, the, that gentleman was also in the strip club. And oh, maybe. Well, it's quite possible. I didn't yeah. see which direction I don't know came either. From. I mean, there's still news to come out of this, I'm sure. It's still fairly recent. My question, though, for you is the league is talking about sort of what, what they can do with this fine. Richmond are pretty keen to make the players pay the fine. So themselves. Tigers have been fined $75,000 as a result of the breach. The club has said the players... Uh, the club has said the players will pay that fine. Uh, and there's an additional 25000 which was suspended from a previous breach involving Brooke, Trent Cotchin's yeah, wife, Brooke Cotchin. Yep. Yeah, so they'll have to pay that too, I believe. But the Players Association is saying, or, they, or their union effectively is saying, that they can't do that. They can't make them pay that fine. Well, I think it works out to be like half of the salary for the season or something. Uh, it's, it's quite a... Oh, it's it's probably, a lot. Probably around 40%, yeah. It's yeah, pretty, well, pretty actions have around. consequences, boys. Mm. You know, there is such thing as the internet. Yep, now you can, you well, can, now you can look learn. at naked ladies on there yeah, if you need to. Well, you can you can learn how to live on a normal everyday wage now for one year. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my thoughts. Mm. I mean, it's it's a shame, but yeah, you made your bed, you gotta gotta line up. Yeah, I think there will be more to come of that, but uh, yeah, big breach. Grand final venue, you know, worst kept secret. It's it's Brisbane. What? Yes, I know. What a surprise. It's not Monica. No, it's not Monica. Uh, and it's not Adelaide, but Adelaide are the reserve venue with Perth in a distant third. And it's not T.O. Stadium. No, it's not T.O. Stadium. It yeah. is the Gabba. Wow. Yes. And it's at night. Well, obviously, it was Brisbane night. It's the Gabba at night. Yeah. That's the big deal too, you know. 
A lot of people have been calling for night grand finals for a long time. We'll see if this opens the floodgates. Oh, good. So if the Eagles somehow stumble in there, they're going to lose it anyway. We'll get there, Stewie. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. AFL injuries. Well, we had a retirement first, didn't we? We did, it's yeah. A mid-season retirement. Yeah, Pierce Hanley. So he played 169 games with the Brisbane Lions and the Gold Coast. Spent more time in Queensland than the Eagles, which is great. <laughs> um, I'm not bitter. But uh, no, he's he's had a great career. And another one of these, these sort of, not trailblazing Irishmen, but another one of them that's come across. Yeah, well, a very, very good career for, yeah, that's right. He's, Someone who who's not a native. Done yeah. very well and, and played twice in the uh, the Gaelic football, the, the international world, yep. sorry, uh, in 2011 and 2014. So um, actually won the Marcus Ashcroft medal while playing in that in 2014. So, oh. Yeah, so there you go. But no, good on him and yeah, happy retirement to you. I hope it all goes well. Injuries. There's a few. As we um, get towards the finals. Yeah, so West Coast Essendon, unfortunately a massive hamstring for Luke Shuey. Adam Simpson's already come out taking the blame for that. He shouldn't have been put back on the field, but unfortunately that's what's happened. Uh, he probably will be out for the rest of the regular season. I'd say we might get him back for finals, but we'll see how we go. Mm. Uh, left ankle injury to Andrew McGrath as well in that one. Uh, in the Sydney-Melbourne game, Nathan Jones did a quad, so that's probably the end of his career. Could be. He's fallen from grace pretty quick, hasn't he? Yeah. He's been one of my favourite non-Swan players, actually, Nathan Jones. Such a hard nut. But he's just had a really... He's, uh, it's It so often happens in the AFL, but blokes can just fall off a cliff, can't they? And it seems to have happened in this season for Nathan. Yeah, it, I think the really sad thing for this is that he was actually coming up for a, a pretty decent-sized milestone. He's at about 286 games, so he's probably going to finish up just half a season short, basically, of a, of a 300 games, which is a... Obviously, a huge milestone. But mm. I've got a bizarre milestone stat coming up for you, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Brisbane Collingwood. So Harris Andrews has a really bad hamstring that could keep him out as late as the as the prelim potentially. So that's mm. a huge loss for Brisbane. It is. Uh, Tom Fullerton did a quad fairly early in the game, and Tom Phillips did a hamstring uh, for Collingwood. So pretty big injury there. In the Port North Melbourne game, Jai Simpkin took a pretty bad glancing elbow from Zach Butters. Had a concussion from that. Uh, Ryan Burton has a quadricep injury. Uh, James Warple took a massive hit to the shoulder in the St Kilda Hawthorne game. Uh, he was actually, he sort of put his arm in a in a sling, so to speak, leaving the ground. He kind of made a sling out of his his jersey, so not great for them. Mm, that's yeah, that's worrying. The greatest name of all time, Irving Mosquito. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, he's done his ACL, which yeah, is devastating. That's yeah, in his rookie season. In the Geelong Essendon game. Uh, and the Western Bulldogs West Coast game that's just finished a couple of hours ago, Mark Hutchings just returning from a hamstring has done another one. It looks Ooh. like he's done for the year, so yeah, right. not great. No, not great at all. Well, our spotlight game, as we mentioned at the top, the Adelaide Crows, not only did they win... But they led from pillar to post. It was a comfortable win. 12 goals, 11-83, defeating Hawthorne. 7 goals, 6-48. I have to say this again. The Adelaide Crows won a game! Yeah, it's very nice. Amazing. It took Matty Nix 14 games, but he finally got there. Good for him. Look, I loved Adelaide's entries into forward 50 for most of this game. They were really just doing such a great job of putting it to the advantage of their players, something they haven't really done this year. Uh, they took great advantage of some pretty lazy work from uh, from the Hawks in the back line as well. This one was fully deserved, and they just a really underrated part of this game was just how well big Elliot Himmelberg was, was bringing the ball to ground and keeping the ball moving forward. So it, it was fantastic. The Hawks were 3-1. and one. They're now sitting 4-10, and ten, though. Wow. Do they need to go full rebuild? Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Absolutely, they do. Because if you look at what Adelaide's done, they've got rid of Eddie Betts, Sam Jacobs, Hugh Greenwood, Josh Jenkins, Cam Ellis-Yolman. Hawthorne probably have similar calls to make with the likes of Sean Burgoyne, Isaac Smith, Paul Puopolo, and a few others. Oh, you've got to keep Isaac Smith, I think. But yeah, no, yeah. 
Puapolo, yep. There's a few blokes, yep, yep. And there was, I'll tell you what, there was another incident, I don't know if you saw it in the second quarter, Tom Scully copped a sling tackle about two metres over the line from Harry Schoenberg. He was literally two metres over the line and basically slung him to the ground. Mm. What are your thoughts? Oh, dirty, very dirty, you know. And if you're out of play, yeah, you've got to cop something for that. Suspension? Oh, I think so, probably a week. Yep. Yeah. You'll probably... You yeah, agree? Probably, oh, 100%. I yeah. think there's no place for that. It was also in the part of the, the ground where the, the proper grass goes into the asteroid. Ah, uh, okay. Which yeah, is yeah. pretty nasty, so... Yeah, yep. And, jeez, oh, I'll tell you what, Shane McAdam, oh, I love the look of this bloke. I think he can be the next Eddie Betts. Oh, big call. He's got that real high-flying, mercurial sort of feel to him where every time the ball goes near him, you just kind of expect him to either take a massive hanger or, or kick a goal. So... I really like the look of him, and long-term, he could be a, a really great solution for the, the Crows. And mm, watch this space. Congratulations, Adelaide. You've you've done it. Yeah, your season hasn't been a total wash. Uh, a couple of other uh, games. Now, we straddle rounds 15 and 16 as we record. We'll start... Well, we'll bookend with West Coast scores now from here on. We have one good and one bad. Let's, let's, let's start with the good. One, yeah. uh, Liam Ryan and McDonald Tip and Woody both had four goals in the Eagles. Nine goals, 660 uh, defeat of Essendon. Six goals, 945. So it was basically a replay of the GWS game the previous week. We dominated the first quarter and then just held on, basically. A bit of a gritty, slightly above-average win for the Eagles, as you said, behind four goals from Liam Ryan. But a win in Queensland is like gold at this stage of the season. The Bombers just continue to struggle in first halves, but straight a kicking from Joe Danaher, Kyle Hooker, and Will Snelling. They had zero goals seven between them. This might have made for a slightly different story. But So Joey Danaher came back down to earth after that. Just uh, with a slight thud, yeah. yeah. My big question, obviously, though, how big an out is Luke Shuey? Huge. Huge. Yep. Absolutely massive. I mean, no, that's, he's a very, very important player to the Eagles' hopes. Yeah, he's averaging around 20 touches, nearly five clearances and three tackles a game. It's pretty, he's a match winner. Pretty tough to replace, and he does break through those packs so, so well. Jack Redden's turn to step up. Mm. That's my thoughts. Uh, Teflon Tom kicked three in Richmond's eight goals, eight fifty-six defeat of the Freo Dockers, 4-5-29. It was actually Freo kind of hung about for a while, but Richmond ran over the top at the end. Admittedly, he's missed two games in the middle of this, but Michael Walters actually kicked his first goal since round five. Wow. Six games straight that he hadn't actually kicked one, plus two that he missed. So, wow. Yeah, he's only kicked nine goals four in 12 games this year. It's not good enough for a bloke who kicked 40 last year. I'm not sure what Fremantle does with their forward line moving forward. I I don't really want to talk about how well Richmond are going because they're just flying along. They, they look like the Richmond that probably will annihilate the field in the finals the way that they did last year. Well, it'll be very interesting to see what this breach will do. Obviously, they're not super important players, but, you know, culturally, you know, and and morale-wise, could be interesting. But uh, but no, as I say, for Fremantle, a lot of questions in terms of what they do moving forward. Obviously, Tabena has been great this year. Yes, kicking goals every game. Every game. Yeah, Walter's goal kicking, though, has really just gone missing in the last couple of months. And Mm. obviously, he was such a huge part of Fremantle's forward line for many a year. If he's not kicking goals, the team's not kicking goals. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. So a bit of a concern. It's a good point. Uh, Now, the game I mentioned before. The Ds won the majority of the statistical categories and had five more free kicks, yet lost to the Swans 10 goals, 7-67. Melbourne, 6 goals, 10-46. 
The demons are like the biggest tease I've seen. Oh, since, this is after they smashed the dogs last week. Basically since my clubbing days. Yeah. It's, it's, they're just such teases. <laughs> One minute they're smashing everyone, the next minute they're losing a game like this. Look, Sydney aren't pushovers. They're not world beaters, but yeah, this is the sort of game that a club like Melbourne who has finals aspirations has to win. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they dominated the first quarter with a heavy wind, just couldn't capitalise on the scoreboard, and then they surrender five unanswered to the Swans in the second. Huge performances from Kennedy Lloyd and probably best on ground, Luke Parker. 24 touches, 5 tackles. Yeah, he's had a pretty good season. Two goals as well. Yep. Is this the final nail in the coffin for Melbourne? Could be. I, can I can I play the card? Yeah. It could come down to that game against us. <laughs> I'm just setting you up for this one. What's the count now? You know, we, we Every week. Every week, just, yeah. But it's, it could be true. Well, they just keep stringing us on and making uh, it so that it's so important. Here's my crazy stat. Yep. It is the first time ever that two blokes wearing the number 20 have played their 150th game at the same time. <laughs> what? Yeah, so Sam Reed number 20 for the Swans, and Adam Tomlinson, number 20 for the Demons. Hmm. We love a weird stat. We do. That's a very weird one, but I love it. The Giants only had one goal nine at halftime, but managed to get a win over Carlton in... Jeez, this looks... The scoreline looks terrible. I didn't see any of it, but I'm glad I didn't see any of it. GWS, six goals, 12-48. Carlton, five goals, 9-35. Really, really great fight back from the Giants after, as you said, they're probably their worst goal-kicking half of the year. I've got a really interesting stat for you as well. Mm. So Jake Riccardi, as we've mentioned previously, Not related. no relation, yep. he's averaging 2.66 goals a game in his first three games of AFL footy. Good for the most goals per game in the league right now. Mm. Small sample. Small sample size, but still. Yeah. I've been a long way short of John Coleman's 12 goals on debut in round one in 1949 as well. <laughs> but his eight goals for is identical to Nat Fife's output for the year. Mm. More than Jordan Degoe. And a bunch of elite midfielders. But no, look, for Carlton, second halves have absolutely killed their finals chances. In four of their first six games, the Blues kicked at least 36 points in the second half. And in the two games they didn't, they still won. In their last eight, they haven't broken 27. Mm-hmm. And they've kicked two second half goals or less in four of their last five games. Mm-hmm. So they're just fading super badly at the end of these games. Uh, and this one I did watch. Collingwood gave Brisbane a late scare, but the Lions got over the Lions 6 6 42, defeating the Pies 5 4 34. It's one of a real finals feel to it. It did. I felt that yeah, real it low did. scoring. It did. Every goal is just really, really valuable. Grind. Jeez. I mean, Brisbane had their usual yips in front of goal early, but they managed to get a nice five-goal burst in the second quarter to give them just enough of a lead, basically, to hold on. Uh, the two Jareds in Lions and Berry were brilliant. Jack Crisp and Scott Pendlebury were pretty gallant in defeat. Pendle's closing in very uh, close now on Tony Shaw's all-time game record for the Pies. Oh, is he now? He is. Okay. So I suppose the other thing is we're going to get to the, to the Bulldogs-West Coast game. And we've got Melbourne playing another... Well, Melbourne obviously had that game in hand. If Melbourne win that, they're two points behind Collingwood. Melbourne have got Frio, GWS, and that Essendon game that we talk about a lot. The Bulldogs have got Hawthorne and Fremantle. The Pies have got Gold Coast, but Port Adelaide to finish Mm, things off. mm. Do you think Collingwood are safe? No. Not even close? No. No. They've got a lot of injuries too. Mm. There's still some twists and turns the next couple of weeks. How juicy is this Melbourne GWS game going to be, though? It's very important. Super important. Yeah. Two other little bits and pieces. How bad a missed mark was that from Brody Meyer? Oh, that was the old, uh, the old spent it before he had it one. And that was a really crucial In a close game, that was very bad. Although, it's got to be said, they did keep it in their forward 50 and they did get a goal not long after. True. So, the, you could say the damage wasn't terrible. 
Yeah, mm. but it was, yeah, it was... It's that whole sliding doors thing. Yeah, 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 you never know. You never know. But the big one for me, how the hell did Braden Maynard avoid getting a free kick against him for that blatant shove in the back on Mitch Robinson? Oh, Mitch Robinson, like, looked like a man possessed for the rest of the game. He was like... He's a bloke that looks pissed off most of the time. Yeah, that set him off. <laughs> it should have been a free. It absolutely should have been a free. It's Definitely. A yeah. yeah, no. The right team won, though. They did, unfortunately. Because, you know... <laughs> They, they should have got a free kick and another shot on goal. Yeah. So they still won. So luckily it didn't affect the result. Uh, Port Adelaide, well, no surprise, they smashed North. 11 goals, 12-78, North 6-6-42. Yeah, I read something really interesting on AFL.com that I'd forgotten about. In their penultimate round last year, Port Adelaide copped an 86-point hiding from North Melbourne. What a difference 12 months makes. Well, of course, Reece Shaw's in the job because North finished with a wet sail last year. So, yep. And they started well at the start of the season. Oh, they started okay. They well, started... they were one of three undefeated sides yeah. after two or three rounds or something. Yeah, so that honeymoon's well and truly over. Yeah, Port's midfield absolutely crushed North. 34 touches for Travis Boak, 31 and 9 tackles from Tommy Rockcliffe, 30 from Ollie Wines, 15 to 3 in centre clearances. Mm. This was just a, yeah, it was a, probably a bigger demolition than the scoreboard actually says. Hmm. Hawthorne have now lost six games straight for the first time since 2010. St Kilda 11-14-80, defeating Hawthorne 9-12-66. They started okay, but it was all St Kilda after the first quarter. Look, I have to admit, I didn't actually see this one, but the Saints are well and truly marching towards the finals the way they're going. Yeah, see what you did there. And with the Eagles next, who we'll get to in a minute, they should get home, even if they aren't really playing amazing football at the moment. But yeah, that's a really interesting stat about mm. Hawthorne. That's such a well-sustained period of excellence. Dominance, yeah. And dominance, exactly. So... Yeah. Yeah, wow. Speaking of teams marching to the finals, Geelong, 17 goals, 6 108, defeating the Bombers, 5 12 42. Tom Hawkins kicked four, and his leader topped the Coleman, probably insurmountable now. Well and truly. Look, this season probably can't finish soon enough for the Bombers. They haven't led at quarter time since round two. Wow. And they've kicked seven goals in their last eight first quarters, so they don't start well, but even for them, this was a new low. Geelong kicked the first six, and they kicked away to a 12-goal-to-two lead at the main break. Sam Manigola continues his push for an All-Australian Guernsey. 30 touches, six marks, and eight clearances. He's had a great season. I mean, I don't think we really need to talk about this much more except for me to say that Geelong is, yeah, they're going to be really tough to beat this season. And once again, a huge win without Gary Ablin. Yeah, my premiership pick's looking decent. And don't worry, he will bob up in that forward pocket and kick a few goals that will be very important in a finals game. I almost guarantee it. Ooh, almost. Guaranteed. <laughs> guaranteed, okay. Ah, oh, Stewie, I'm just going to read the score and throw to you on this one. Western Bulldogs, 6-13-49. West Coast, 7-5-47. Go on. The Queensland curse continues, and I don't count beating Essendon as beating the curse because they can't beat anyone right now. The Eagles hate playing at the Gabba at night, it seems. <sighs> playing it in daytime as well, but well, no, look, an utterly piss-weight performance. Dominated the first quarter that heavily and then just roll over. It's just so disappointing. I've been losing Nick Natanui less than 24 hours before opening bounce is a huge loss, but just the intensity wasn't there, and the number of times that the... The pressure rating for the Eagles was in the poor sort of area. It was just, It's just too much. And it, it looked like a team playing their fourth game in 14 days. Mm. So Caleb Daniel, honestly, he had so much room around, around him behind the contest. It was just... He was picking the Eagles apart. And it He's been, an All-Australian this year. He probably is, yeah. yeah. It would have been so handy to have Hutchings there on the field to sort of tag him out of the game. But, look, the Eagles were lucky that the Dogs kicked so poorly in front of goal or it would have been over very, very early. Mm. Um Look, a huge win for the Dogs in their finals aspirations. Look, and how's the form line? So they got smashed by the Ds last week. The Ds lost to the Swans, who have been woeful. And then they come out and beat the Eagles, who are not that far off an eight-goal winning streak. Exactly. So, But no, 
the dogs, you just never know. I mean, they won it from seventh position in 2016. I'm sorry to bring that up, Nathan. I know that's probably still <laughs> uh, yes. a pretty tough one. But no, yes. the one thing that I have such a massive issue with the goal line decision. Now, I know everyone will be just be like, oh, yeah, typical Eagles supporter having a whinge. That's fine. You can have that viewpoint. That's completely fine. I say nothing. The thing that I despise about this, though, is the soft call. I can't stand it. If the umpire is standing there and he's not sure, what he thinks has happened is completely irrelevant. If you're saying So we'll just have to add some context here. Yeah, true. So Bontempelli's should explain what Bontempelli's given a massive kick a roost from outside fifty. It's looked like it was to the naked eye, it looked like it was touched, I think. I think you'll agree. Oh, 100%, yeah. Which made the soft call weird. So the it looked like it was touched, but the umpire's soft call was goal. They went to the replay. That old chestnut, inconclusive, mm. goal stands. Next person that says inconclusive who isn't you is going to get a punch in the face. <laughs> but no, the the thing about it for me was, yeah, the soft call ultimately led to the, the, the goal standing. I think that the angles that they used were, were terrible. The, the angle that they were, certainly the one they were showing on the TV was showing the ball angled up towards the goalpost as opposed to the thick padding around the side, which is where the back of the line is. But then they also show another angle from the other side. And as far as I'm concerned, there's absolutely no daylight between even the post and the ball. So, mm. Well, as I say, it did look, even to the naked eye, it looked like it was touched. I'm, I'm just not a fan of this. And unfortunately, in the context of the game, obviously we know that things would have changed. But with three minutes left in the fourth quarter, that puts the dogs in front. And unfortunately, we were unable to get ahead from there. And, and as I say, I know it's going to sound like I'm just being a, a bitter Eagles supporter, but I would just hate to see something like that happen in a final mm. and potentially cost someone a premiership or mm. a chance to move on. So, Indeed. I, yeah, I just think get rid of the soft call. It, there's no need for it. I'm not sure whether it's a goal or a behind. Can we check and let the person with all the technology make the decision? I'm very impressed with how calm you are because you weren't so calm when you got here. Yeah. You've cooled down a little. Yeah, look, ha- having fun and recording a podcast like this... We've had a laugh. ...probably has calmed me down a little bit, but I was ropeable. Well, I thought the hot today. takes were going to be firing off. Well, well, I, mean, well, I, mean, I can give you a hot take. Fuck off with the soft call. How about that? <laughs> like, i got no time for it. It was ridiculous. It should have been a goal. Oh, sorry, it should have been a point. Jesus. I don't want to I don't want to reignite the firecracker. No. Let's finish with something funny in the uh, world of football. Now, this is uh, Memphis football in the gridiron in America. Oh, God. They're doing kiss cam with people wearing masks. How fucking stupid is that? Smart. Yeah, well done. <laughs> I've seen the footage. It looks it looks so dumb. Oh, it, it really does. Oh, that's them trying to be socially responsible and all of that sort of stuff, but you're not maintaining the... I think we can live without the kiss cam for a year. Or forever. <laughs> anyway. All right, well, that's the end of our special Sunday show, Stewie. What are you amped for? I'm amped for keeping all the games interesting this week by not picking anything in the AFL. I've picked 10 <laughs> games over the course of this show so far, and only two of them have been less than a 27-point mark. Wow, you've gone back and, and done the math. I went back and had a look. Jeez. So, yeah, and in shortened quarters, that's basically 35-plus. So, yeah, if I have to choose one, we'll go North Melbourne and Fremantle on Saturday because who cares if that game's crap? <laughs> Probably Fremantle supporters as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but no, look, for me, in the basketball, Celtics-Raptors game five. 
that's going to be a yeah, massive, absolutely, massive absolutely. Game. And look, I, I'm not uh, holding my breath, but let's hope Milwaukee put up a bit of a fight against the Heat. Mm. Yeah. How about yourself? What are you out for? Well, I, I've got to go with Boston, Toronto, as you say, but I'm also I'm stoked that the Denver Nuggets tied up the series with the Clippers. I still think the Clippers will win it in six. Um, but they they do they are a bit inconsistent. So let's see if the Clippers can string some wins together. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I guess one last thing. Now we've kind of paused to watch every now and then. Uh, I think we can safely say that the second T Twenty is done. Australia seven for one fifty seven. We're actually lucky to score that much at the exact time of recording. We've got Butler and Milan both in very easily one for fifty off seven point two. So you'd have to think that England will win that one. Come on, rain. <laughs> We're Aussies, we don't pray for rain. Only the Poms pray for rain. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. Yeah.